Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. The sound of endurance racing around the world. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. G'day everyone and welcome to On The Grid, your weekly fix of motorsport with a down-under perspective. Each week we'll talk to the leading lights of Aussie motorsport, unpick the key issues, discuss the trending topics and have some fun along the way. From supercars to the Bathurst 12-hour and everything in between, and I mean everything, this is On The Grid. Now, here's the show's host with the most, Tony Shebecki. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid. Thank you so much for joining us. Big show coming up tonight, we're going to be uh, joined by Tim Hodges, motorsport fanatic, uh, journalist and producer of one of the uh, most popular Australian football shows here on uh, Fox Sports. I look forward to catching up with Tim a little bit later on, Mark Walker and also uh, Richard Crowell to join us as well. Dale Rogers in just a sec to bring us up to date with what's happening in the world of Formula One. But the news coming out of supercars, of course, comes out the morning after we have recorded the podcast. So there won't be any chat about it in the podcast, but I will give you the statement that supercars put out at 6am on Wednesday morning. Today confirmed the introduction of the Gen 3 program will be delayed to the opening event of 2023. Factors outside the control of supercars, including the ongoing challenges with international supply chains and domestic disruptions caused the COVID-19 pandemic, are among the major contributing factors. Lockdowns in various states, which have forced supercars to condense its racing program, over the final three months of 2021, have also limited the Gen 3 testing program as originally planned. Supercars has arrived at this decision following consultation with key stakeholders, including Repco, Ford, General Motors and Supercars broadcast partners. The manufacturers' uh, representatives and uh, the manufacturers' respective homologation teams, which are Triple Eight Race Engineering and Dick Johnson Racing, continue to forge ahead with the development of the prototypes and Gen 3 cars and are on track to be unveiled on Friday the 3rd of December during this year's Repco Bathurst 1000. Supercars General Manager, uh, sorry, I should say Supercars General Motors and Ford remain committed to rolling out Gen 3 and the introduction of the Camaro and the Mustang Throughout the course of 2022, fans will see the first ever Gen 3 race car come to life ahead of the program's racing debut. Cars will conduct significant on-track exhibitions and testing at many of Supercars events next year. Mark Larkham will continue to bring behind-the-scenes updates of Gen 3 prototypes and testing through Repco Supercars Championship broadcast and digital channels. And that ends the statement from Supercars announcing that Gen 3 will be delayed until the start of season 2023. It was always going to be hard to see how they were going to do it halfway through a season. So this seems to be the most logical and sensible decision that they could make on the Gen 3 car. All right, Formula 1 action continues. Uh, It was in Turkey on the weekend and a mundane type of race, I suppose you could say, with... uh, Valtteri Bottas taking the win. Let's have a look at how Dale Rogers saw the event. Dale. 
Thanks, Tony. Last week, we predicted that the two B drivers, Valtteri Bottas and Checo Perez, needed to play a key role in the Turkish Grand Prix to assist their team leaders in the points battle in the 2021 Formula One World Championship. And they did exactly that, both finishing on the podium, with Bottas picking up his first win in 2021 in the Mercedes. Weather conditions again gave Formula One teams and drivers dilemma on what the outcome of the race would actually hang. This time, instant bull drizzle and the way the unusual surface of the track retained grip and took forever to dry even after it stopped raining meant those questions kept being thrown at the strategy teams sitting on the pit wall. While Valtteri Bottas sailed on, Lewis Hamilton was troubled by the conditions. He finished fifth from his 11th place grid penalty starting position, might have finished third had he come in when the Mercedes team originally called him in, might have even had he won, had he stayed out long enough to get onto slicks had the track dried like a normal one once the rain stopped with about 20 laps to go. But it didn't. The grid was a spicy mix with Hamilton back in 11th and Sainz and Danny Ricciardo both with penalties coming off the back row. With Fernando Alonso starting in P5, the possible battle between Hamilton and him was looming once again. But Alonso got a little further in turn one before trouble, it being almost a mirror image of the Renaults coming together in 2020. Alonso was around, courtesy of Gasly, who himself was squeezed, and later helped make Schumacher off the track, as well as killing any chance of a result for the Renault driver. Science was charging and put on a masterful display in the Ferrari, passing on the damp track, moving himself right into the points, and after a new set of enters, claimed eighth place. Danny Ricciardo was not able to run with Science, but his McLaren seemed to come to life after a new set at a very, very early stop. But just as he too was challenging for points, the tyres fell off a cliff and he dropped back. A pretty poor weekend for the Aussie. But the story of the race was Hamilton. In shades, what we just saw in Russia, Hamilton was not happy with his crew calling him into pit, stayed out longer, to then be told to come in and lost that track position. The Pirelli Inters go through a very interesting grading in the early part of their life, and this lack of speed, even on newer tyres, probably cost Lewis a podium. Some outstanding side-by-side racing with Perez on lap 35 showed just how tough Checo is as he hung in and retained his position, and even being pushed into the pit lane entry. Had Hamilton succeeded in making that pass, the complexion of this race could have been quite different. But as and Max Verstappen from first and second on the grid played the safe cards, pitted for their second sets of wets with plenty of laps left and run untroubled to those positions at the end. The Red Bull just didn't seem to have the pace of the Mercedes this weekend, which was always able to stay just out of Verstappen's reach without overworking its tyres. Bottas, after a race carefully monitoring and controlling, cut loose on the final two laps, running 1.5 seconds faster than the best anyone else had managed. A win and fastest lap were just reward. So we're off to America now, Tony, in Texas in a couple of weeks. We'll uh, do a preview on the grid soon. Time to catch up with the boys who are here for a chat today. First of all, Richard Crowell from TheRoastTalk.com. Hello, Crowley. Tony Shebeki, how are you? I'm excellent, mate. You've been uh, a little busy man over the last couple of days. Not content with being busy with work. I like to create a bit more uh, stuff to invest some energy into Shebex, on which we'll touch on in the show very shortly. We certainly will. Mark Walker, also from TheRoastTalk.com. Hello, Mark. Tony Shebeki, um, I've got to tell you, I'm getting pretty well familiar with this whole lockdown concept. I'm enjoying it now. After a few months, I'm really starting to swing into it. I, I like it. Uh, it's over in another week or two, so bad luck. Oh, got to it. And our special guest today is a, uh, a man who's produced AFL 360 for two years, I think probably nearly the last 10 years or so, maybe even longer. Uh, he was also the very first producer of On The Grid on SEN. Now we're talking 15, 16 years ago. Tim Hodges joins us for a chat. Hello, Tim. 
G'day, Shebex. G'day, Mark and Richard. If I'm your special guest, someone's clearly dropped out in the last hour or so. But <laughs> I, uh, I do appreciate you having a having me on. And uh, Mark, I can't agree with you about this lockdown. As soon as they, <laughs> as soon as they, as soon as they can open the pubs, let's go back and have a palmer oh, and God, fifteen yeah. pots. Okay, yeah, that's true fact that. But I just found out Brunetti's patisserie will uh, deliver to the outer burbs where I am. So I wish I found that out at the start of the pandemic rather than the tail end of it, because we could have been eating little, little pies the whole way through. You'd be 140 yeah. kilos by now. I'm 130 as it is. <laughs> so Shebex. Hodgie produces arguably the best sports show on Australian television at the moment. We really need to start this with this Tuesday night. It's motor racing from all angles, don't we? Really? Surely. Exactly. The, well, yeah, it works right. for me. Then what, are you, what are your three agenda items today, Shebex? Yeah. Well, the, the Robo first... role, I think, though. That's the more important thing. That's got to be Shebeki, surely. Uh, maybe you could, Richard. Oh, I don't know. There's a lot of arm, a lot of arm flapping around over the last couple of days, I reckon. Has oh, hasn't there been? And that's the first agenda item of the day, and it's what the hell is happening in South Australia? If you haven't caught up with the news, uh, some bloke over there on council wants to rip up what is left of the uh, Victoria Park race circuit and turn it into a parkland because apparently the uh, the lovely people over there are getting heat stroke because there's not enough trees. <laughs> One man that's extremely disappointed about this possible decision is Richard Crail. And when I joke at the start about how busy have you been, mate, you've been fending off emails, phone calls and chats left, right and centre over the last three or four days. Yeah, look, Shebex, it's been a wild old ride. Uh, I, I was out at Malala on Sunday because we're still allowed to have some nice things over here. So I went to a racetrack and um, had a lovely day and I just cracked my first beverage on a Sunday night. It was building up to the Grand Prix and story on the Adelaide Advertiser popped up uh, with comments from uh, Councillor Greg Mackey, who's a councillor on that side of the city, the Eastern Fringe, uh, suggesting that they needed to look seriously at removing some of, if not all of the Victoria Park section of the Adelaide Parkland street circuit um, because it was a heat shrink and uh, it caused heat distress for the area. And anyway, we can dive into all that as much as you like. It's a bit rubbish. He has since, to his credit, walked those comments quite a long way back from where they were reported in the advertiser. Uh, Our friend and colleague, Mike Drewer, the former media boss of the Adelaide Grand Prix and the Adelaide 500 for a long time, um, took him to task on ABC Radio, which was very nicely done as well. So, look, it, but it has created quite a lot of discussion and quite a lot of awareness about how fragile perhaps that place is, irrelevant of the Adelaide 500 coming back or not. And this is a separate issue, I feel, to whether the race comes back or not. So the Adelaide 500 is a a binary yes or no thing at the moment. If the current government stays in, it's not coming back. If the opposition party gets in in the March election next year, it's probably going to come back. They've pledged to it. They've signed a contract. But this is sort of periphery to that in that they want to open the discussion, I suppose, of, of opening up Victoria Park to other things. But my argument is, and I know that there's a lot of people in the motorsport industry and even broader than that that agree, is that that 1.2 kilometres of bitumen that links into the public roads that were used for the street circuit in both iterations, long one and short, are among the more significant bits of sporting landscape in South Australia because 
the Grand Prix put this state on the map internationally. Nothing before, and I would argue since, has done the same amount to project Adelaide and South Australia to the world. So it's a piece of our built heritage. It's as important for many people as a hundred year old historic building in the middle of town or to some people, the Adelaide Oval and removing it would be removing a piece of fundamentally important heritage to the state and the city. It goes beyond motor racing in my opinion. So uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, having had a beverage Shebex on Sunday afternoon, I fired the fingers up and bashed out a column and it's sort of, snowballed since there but i'd like to actually get hodgie's thoughts on this because tim you're a proud and parochial victorian but i know for a fact that you love the adelaide street circuit and the adelaide 500 and you're a regular visitor to our fair city every year when that race was on just before footy season had rolled out yeah rich i was just thinking about this before i came on with you that i first went in 89 so i was in grade six in primary school and i've been pretty much every year since for certainly the the remaining formula one races and, and then right through adelaide 500 and as a as a nuffy race fan and then i was there when there's a channel 10 employee and for fox sports and for sen with you shebex um and, and then the last few years just as as a race fan again and and i love i love the place i love the it's the best street circuit that's probably ever been built for for motor racing so um yeah i just can't understand your government one bit to, you know, even the way they, and I know this is going back a long way, but the way they gave up and lost the F1 and, mm. and as easily, as passively as they did. But then to give up on the Adelaide 500 just was gobsmacking. And I don't, I still don't think I've got over that from, it was late in um, last year. Uh, yeah, late yeah. last year, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was like a week later, Shebex, Adam Trelaw was allowed to leave Collingwood and Collingwood blew up. Good. And it was like the worst, one of the worst weeks in my sporting <laughs> following life. It's like my football team's rooted and my favourite race weekend is gone. It's like, this isn't fair. And I'm still, mm. I still can't believe it. So, and even what you wrote the other day, Rich, and this is going a bit off topic, but I can't believe, and I've been there, uh, I went to a game of footy and went at Adelaide Oval and, and went and checked out the, the track when there wasn't a track there. And I'd never been there before. And I've just, even the centre chicane, which is really cool with the um, the uh, the little monument there. What, what's the correct the, word the for that? Plaque, the the plaque. plaque, yeah. Mm. But reading your column on, on Sunday night, Rich, there's actually no um, significant, you know, there should be a walk of fame. I've often said that about the Gold Coast, which we, I think we all love on the, on this call. That I'm amazed around the, the beachside chicane. They haven't ripped up that footpath and rebuilt, you know, like a, a walk of fame with... Yeah all of the winners over the years. Imagine Nigel Mansell coming out in normal non-COVID times and launching his walk of fame. But I can't – and I thought they might have already done that in Adelaide, but I was mm. staggered that they haven't done that to show that this is – we're proud of this bloody event that we put on. It put Adelaide on the world stage. It made Adelaide a much greater city for the fact that it was able to bring the Formula One field to Australia in the 80s. It was able to have the greatest Grand Prix of the year. And then – it. You know, it lost it, but then it had the greatest touring car race. I think we've, you know, it's the greatest touring car event, and probably not the race because we've got Bathurst 1000, but the greatest touring car event in the world. And then they gave up on that. So I know that's a long winded answer, and I'm not sure whether I answered your question or not there, Richard, but yeah, I'm just like you, like probably all three of us here, four of us here, that just really sad that it, 
we still don't start our year at the Adelaide 500 and the best street circuit isn't used regularly. And the fact that they're thinking about digging it up is um, like, I'm, I'm, I'm coming over Richard and I'll, I'll chain myself to, to the tarmac with you to make yep. sure they, they can't get in. I quite seriously had an offer from a guy who owns a trucking company here who emailed me and said, I own three big B double trucks. If you want me to park them across the track, I will put yes. them there for you. No problems. So it's it's raised serious passion and serious desire to keep this thing going, which is fantastic. Now, I'm Team Motorsport. I'm 100% on board with everything everyone said so far. Playing the devil's advocate here, um, just for the sake of having a conversation about the topic. Back in 2007. Uh, back can't, in 2007 can't, we, can't we just shit can the idea, Mark, yeah. and be happy with it? Yeah, 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 yeah. But <laughs> back in 2007, there were big plans to redo the horse track, and a part of that was to realign a bit of the racetrack sort of thing. And the thing about this Adelaide track, I agree that it is the best event in the calendar. And for a street circuit, the thing that I love about it is that it's accessible. You're not stuck pinched on that bridge going across the Albert Park Lake or the River and Surface Paradise. Those street circuits are really hard to navigate. And if you're a puncher, it's hard to get around from one side to the other. But the thing with this Adelaide track is that that is the dinkiest pit paddock area for the supercars anywhere in the calendar. Like it was designed for Akko Huts with Formula One back in 1985. It wasn't designed for parking 25 B doubles behind there. So it's a really hard thing for those guys to navigate if they could let's say this numbnuts gets his way and they dig up the track tomorrow labor get voted in in march and they go all right we're going to bring the v8s back if they rejigged it a little bit you could make a better track i know you're very much disagreeing with this here richard um the other other thing that annoys me about this whole setup there at adelaide the only sort of bugbear that i've got with it is that if i get to the racetrack early i like to go for a walk through the pits but the way that all the support categories are set up from one end of the facility to the other, it's just painful to navigate that. Like if you could, that, that's not. You know, in yeah. the Gold Coast, they put them in the basements of some of the hotels. Though. I know. It's <laughs> a street circuit compromise. Yes. It's not an Adelaide but, compromise. But in Adelaide, you've got all the space in the world on the inside of Vic Park there. Surely you could line up all the support categories in together somehow. No, well, they no. do. They put them on the oval in the middle no, of the race. They're, they're on the oval, then. Super twos down that side, and then a function of that is with the change in promoter, though, in 2017 when the motorsport board was dissolved and it became a a tourism department event. And all of a sudden, they decided they didn't want to pay the higher fees for CBC Mm. Oval in the middle of the circuit. So it became there's so many politics involved in this that it became compromised in that, in that it became a, a budgetary line item rather than a motorsport event. So they slashed and burned. They moved the concert from the oval where it was great in the middle of the, of the precinct to behind the pit paddock area where it was too small. That caused compromise for the, um, the support categories and where they would all park up and merchandise alley. And that was the beginning of the end for the circuit. I mean, you've, you've identified the, the straight circuit problem at any track, but the whole point of this exercise though is, and, and if they dig the track up, I guarantee you the race won't come back irrespective of what government is, because then they'll just go, oh, no, it's too expensive. We're not going to bother. But mm. it, it's it's not even about that. It, it's about the fact that there are 36 years of motor racing heritage on that racetrack. So it would be like going, 
to read park. Oh, it's a bit narrow, a bit blind. We're just going to widen it and change the profile and a little bit of that at Mount Panorama. So it's, yeah, it's not about the practicalities of bringing the race back. It's about preserving what's there because the race may not come back and you have to be pragmatic about that, that it may not happen because even if there's a change of government, the bean counters ultimately will decide whether the 500 comes back or not. And once if Labor get into power and they're in, they might not feel the need to do it. This is politics. So you need to live with that fact that the event may never come back. There may not be racing there, but this is about what Tim was talking about in preserving the heritage of the site and recognizing its history with some form of a continuation of making sure it stays there and be some form of, open museum historical walk which is what i'm proposing um to to tell those stories so to tell the story when you walk through the center chicane of why it's called the center chicane because etten loved adelaide and he loved racing here and it was his last ever grand prix victory was on the streets of adelaide and he had an enormous fan base here to the point where when bruno sent a race to formula three car at the grand prix in melbourne in 2006 I met 50 or 60 people from Adelaide that came over just to see Bruno race, but because they'd seen his uncle race in Adelaide, that that's the kind of stuff that needs to be celebrated and maintained and, and maintaining that 1200 meters of permanent racetrack that's in Victoria park as is, if the race doesn't come back is in my opinion, the most important thing out of it. Imagine if they stopped racing at Mount Panorama, like imagine if they went on and we're going to flatten it, and we're going to change the layout and it'll just be a road and we're not going to bother it. Like it, it's the same thing in my eyes because there are Bathurst and Phillip Island, maybe the only two tracks in this country that have the same level of international impact on their environment that the Adelaide street circuit does. That's my argument. I agree with you 100%. Uh, one other thing that came up in the comments straight after you posted it was maybe we should heritage list it which is an exercise that we've been through with Lakeside when they closed Mm. that down. There was a big battle there and they actually got it heritage listed against the odds. But the problem was that when they tried to start racing there again, they were buggered because they had this heritage listing that they couldn't touch it. So you don't want that heritage listing there necessarily because if you wanted to redo the curbs or patch it up because the, the track's old and buggered, you'd have dramas doing that under a heritage listing. So you sort of want the preservation there without having that official tag, which might be a hindrance down the track. Uh, Richard, it was a bit concerning what you just said. That you, it, it sounds like you're not as confident that an event will ever come back to this place. Like, isn't it the fact if, if the current Premier Marshall is ousted next year at the election, the opposition leader has, I mean, as you said before, he's basically signed a contract with yeah, Supercars to, to bring the event back. So... Look, it's I'm, probably it's probably just more my lack of faith in politics, Hodgie, to be brutally yeah. honest with you. <laughs> but um, but, and, but it's it's happening though, isn't it? If Marshall is ousted, which God, I hope I've never given a stuff about politics, but I hope more than anything that yeah. this this new guy is coming back in and the yeah, Adelaide five hundred is back. Like it's and, been and then, a pillar yeah. of his re-election strategy, Tim. So he's yeah. he's built his campaign around it. So he can't it renege back, on that he, now. He'd want to bring it back. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Is this sort of a from a pragmatic viewpoint, is this sort of a, a slide against the importance of motor racing to the community as well? I mean, we we love motor racing. Everyone who follows motor racing loves motor racing. But is it sort of 
an indication that if you're not involved with motor racing, it just means absolutely nothing to you? No, I don't think so, Shebex. I, I, it, this is, it's a victim of politics. Uh, and and we, we touched on the Gold Coast event and how much we love the Gold Coast. And we all love that event. Um, it, the first venue for beers with the race talk. I mean, that will go down in history as an un- yeah. unbelievably, incredibly successful thing when that one person turned up. Um, but, <laughs> and asked for his free beer. <laughs> like one, yeah, one change, which he didn't accept. One change in Queensland government and that event's gone. It, and, but, and it's just motor racing on street circuits is at the whim of the politicians. But the thing with, where Adelaide and the Gold Coast has been different is that it's it's generally been very bipartisan so it hasn't mattered whether you're in in a position of power or if you're in opposition you've backed the event because it's been so good for the state but it was just this current government and then the, the thing that really screwed the race itself was when they got rid of it running it as a motor racing event and it became a line item for the tourism budget and the tourism south australia people were not interested in promoting a car race they'd rather promote a random arts festival or something like that yes and and that's the problem (laughs) that's the biggest problem of all and with a coupled with a lack of political will from the incumbents who decided that COVID was a great excuse to slash a line item out of their tourism budget um between the two of them that's what killed it so that that's why the opposition has gone so hard on going, we're bringing this thing back because it's completely opposite to what the incumbent government is doing. Not knowing what it was looking like the last time they had the 500 there, but I remember when the Oval came on stream properly, when it was all fully rebuilt, a few of the corporate boxes weren't there at Adelaide 500 anymore. It seems like there was a spend that went away from that towards the Adelaide Oval. Like That was just my recollection as a photographer walking around in front of all the grandstands that a few of those sort of went missing when the Oval came on stream. Was that an mm, issue? No, I don't think it had a massive role in the future of the event. No, no. not in the event, but I think just no. in terms of that little spend. That, that I, but I, I think as well that the best events, whether they're a supercar race or they're a festival, they scale to suit the conditions as well. So yeah. if, if the market's strong and there's enormous corporate demand, they'll add more corporate boxes. But if they're not, they just won't build them and yeah. they'll save some money by doing that. So... No, I, I think the event scaled to suit the market well enough, but it was just run by bank counters and not by a group of yeah. motor racing people who actually knew what the event needed. And and the difference is, is that the motorsport board, and, and this is the most recent example, bought stadium trucks over. And I guarantee you they sold 15,000 tickets because of it. And that was a decision that they looked at as an event, as a motorsport people and went, this will sell tickets to our audience. And that's probably what it lacked in the last couple of years when it became part of tourism, in my opinion. Is there a chance that, and state governments need to be on board with everything. And and even here in Melbourne, the Formula One Grand Prix, look, can you imagine what they went through in the early 90s with the Save Albert Park protesters that were thousands and thousands of people strong daily Mm. leading into that race? You know, state governments have to back events and they backed it through Jeff Kennett through all those years. You know, if they weren't against, even now when, the Grand Prix costs, you know, $70 million for the Victorian government and they continue to back it. Like the tennis here, like the, the Indy or the Gold Coast 600 or 500 or whatever we call it now in the Queensland government. Is there ever a chance where the SA, if the new leader comes in, that they might pump more money in 
want to go international. And I'm not saying Formula E because, please, God, don't bring no. them here. But, <laughs> like, could they – I mean, the thing that I would bring is what worked on the Gold Coast. It's the best series on earth is bring the IndyCar Championship here. Imagine selling that carrot to, to the Americans to come and race on the best street circuit in the world alongside the supercars. Like, that would be something you could sell. Is there ever a chance that they could go back to spending spending money to make the event bigger and hopefully making more money? You're speaking my language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I wouldn't be in a position to speculate about that. I, I think they've only circled bringing the 500 back as the um, as the key target for their re-election campaign. But when it's back, you never know. It, it was there were serious rumours about that three or four years ago, floating around. But that that was also before Roger Penske bought IndyCar, and he's since come out and said. He's quite focused on just building the domestic North American component before they start looking overseas again. So, yeah, oh, it would be, oh, mate, you, you have no idea. Well, you do have an idea. You know extra, exactly how I would react if an IndyCar race came to this part of the world. The thing, though, is what's concerning about our last five or ten minutes of conversation is the fact that our sport lies on a very precarious line backed by government. And it probably shows one of two things is that we are so dependent on the money that we get from government for the sport to keep supercars running at the level it does and the lack of promotion from supercars for itself for its own events. Because effectively, from what we've said here, a change of government in Queensland could mean that we don't have any racing in Queensland anymore because we know that they won't go back to QR or they've been loath to go back to QR in the last couple of years. The same could be said about Melbourne a change of government in Melbourne, and if we lost the Grand Prix, could mean that we won't have Sandow. They don't want to go to Phillip Island because it costs too much. Our only racing in Melbourne or in Victoria could be in Winton. Uh, I mean, it's just our, our sport can't seriously be held to ransom like this for, on governments, can uh, it? I don't think it's held to ransom, Shebex. I, I think it just ebbs and flows. Like, you go back to the late 90s and there was one street circuit. So I, I think supercars would would adapt it's adapted in the past to the changing whims of state governments and it would continue to do so. But, but there's always a government somewhere that at, of the time that thinks a straight circuit is right. And, and you look at New South Wales, for example, and Newcastle was announced two weeks ago that it will open the season yeah. next year, which is a pretty bold call, but I love it. Um, that's a great example of a government backing an event in Homebush I really liked Homebush. I'm quite open about that. I thought that was a cool event, but it didn't work in the end. No one went, but they stuck, they stuck with it and moved it to a city where it can own the joint, much like the Adelaide 500 did. And Newcastle has been an outrageous success in the first, the three years that it's run. So I don't think it holds it to ransom. I think the sports adept to pivot to make it work. And, you know, Phillip Island is too expensive. Yes. But if there were no other options in Victoria, they'd go there. Yeah, they'd have to. It'll be as yeah. simple as that. And it comes down to how good a salesperson Sean Seymour is because you look at Coco's track record back in the day when he managed to get a racetrack jammed in the middle of Canberra between all the Parliament houses, even though it was completely unsuitable, mm. they managed to do it. And it was a great start. And Coco was able to sell that dream to Adelaide, to to uh, Canberra, to the Gold Coast, all these places. So Townsville, they all came up under his watch. So if you have a good salesperson there, he's able to he's able to push the barrow, you're not going to have dramas. The, I think the bigger problem for motorsport moving forwards is that, you know, the whole world's going to go to electric. What's my, you know, the big picture things, 
But 10 years down the track when you can only buy electric cars in your showroom, what's motorsport going to look like? Mm. Can I just say, I, I was I was watching the uh, – I've got a bit of time on my hands, guys. I've had a bit of ISO uh, time on myself the last little while, but uh, I've been watching the, the next-gen NASCAR having the test at Charlotte today, and the, the sound yeah. of that thing is still beautiful, Mark. So I've got my fingers crossed that uh, the V8 stays in supercars for a hell of a lot longer. I yeah. think that a move to fully electric motorsport is 50 years away. I, I don't because a move to fully electric road cars is still a long, long way away. And, but there, there'll be a position where we can still have noisy racing cars, even if all of the road cars are silent. I don't, I don't think it will, I don't think it'll change our sport that much, to be honest with you. Yes, there'll be some hybridization. Yes, there'll be some electric categories. But I'm supercars go electric. I'm out. I have no oh, interest. Is. I have no interest in it. But they know that. Yeah. So the the sport is is wary enough, and I think they're switched on enough to know. And I don't think there'll be any dissent among this group of four or anyone who listens to this show that a massive fundamental component of our game is the feeling you get in your chest when a field of racing cars rattles past you inches from a fence. It, it's yeah. unmatchable in any other sport. And, and I, I would argue that the start of the Bathurst 1000 is right up there with the first bounce at the grand final or first ball of the boxing day test in terms of like the noise and the atmosphere and the feeling around it. When you've got 50,000 people there cheering and 30 supercars crashing on the rev limiter, I don't think, honestly, I don't think that changes. I really don't think that changes. I think there'll always be, that will always be part of motor racing. It has to be because otherwise it just becomes rubbish. Yeah, that's <laughs> no, fickle. Idea, it's anyway. fickle. And anyway, the thing that I've got out of this whole chat is that I wish I had been more active in saving the Altona TT at Cherry Lake 50 years ago, but obviously that's it's, gone it's past. Still, and we'll never get still, that back. There's still remnants there. Well, there's still the Cherry Lake there. No, you can still follow the track around. I know, I know, I push around it. But we don't have a TT anymore. Uh, Richard, just finally on this topic before we move on to the next. Uh, so a- can I just ask, Tony, what are you allowed to do, Richard? Do you take your push bike down and race around down to the, the final hairpin and come onto the main straight and on the, the ripple strip? Are you doing that on weekends just to, to hang out at the Adelaide Grand Prix track and get your fix? It's a fairly bold assumption that I ride a push bike, Tim. Beat me to that. <laughs> but uh, to answer your question, I don't do it every weekend. However, I reckon on more than fifty percent of my when I go to town, and I'm an hour from the city. When I go to town, I will detour by Victoria Park. Yes. Hey, how many times have you had a COVID test there? <laughs> uh, yeah, once I have, but you had to do it. You had to go and get a COVID test on pit straight. It's fantastic. <laughs> You've been to yeah. Albert Park, haven't you, for a COVID test? Uh, no, but I, I got Sandown, double, yeah. double vaxxed at Sandown. At Sandown, perfect. Yeah. There you go. Hey, Richard, <laughs> so the final word on this is it goes to a vote at council tonight? Well, no, it, it doesn't go to a vote, Shebex. It goes, so we're, we're speaking Tuesday afternoon. It, it, it just gets raised. It's being tabled okay. at the meeting. And, and in the two days since this has come out, there's been a host of emails being sent back and forth. Um, to various councillors from the group that are very, very keen to see that place not be touched. So, and, and as I said earlier, um, Councillor Mackey has 
walked back his comments pretty hard and said, oh, no, I never, I never actually said I wanted to tear it up. And look, he may never have. We're, we're talking about the media here. They may have blown it out of proportion. I don't think they did massively, though. He said what he said. So, look, it gets raised at council. They'll table it. Um, there's been an effort to get as much information as possible to as many councillors as possible in the last couple of days just to reinforce the significance of the circuit and the the events that it's held and could continue to hold. And certainly, if it doesn't hold any more events, to reinforce the fact that it needs to be preserved as part of the, the city and the state's heritage. So... That's that. We'll, we'll see what the outcome and what the discussion is from the council meeting on Tuesday night. And then they may go, no, nah, it's a non-event. We're not even going to talk about it until after the state election, for example. And then we just get on with life. Um, but having said that, I'm, I'm still very keen to push forward with the, the program that I've pitched. And you can read about it on the, on the website on the racetalk.com, which is to set up a, a proper heritage walk along the circuit where people can soak in that history because like Hodgie said at the start, it, it needs to be recognized and it needs to be remembered. So irrespective, I'm going to, I'm going to plow on with this and, and see if we can't make that happen because just to, to celebrate the history of that incredible racetrack, I, I think needs to be done. So uh, wait, wait and see for now and, and see how it plays out. Good on you, mate. Let's hope that it is successful and nothing happens to that uh, 1,200 metres of track. Hodgie, love to have a chat to you also while we've got you about the year that was for Scott McLaughlin. Of course, you were uh, pivotal in getting the book out for Scott, uh, writing it for him, Road to Redemption, a fantastic book it was and should have won a V8 Supercar Media Award, but didn't. That's another story. Who's on the judging panel there? What's going on? Neither of us judged that one. Neither of us judged that one. Uh, I'm I'm still trying to find out. If you can find out or let me know, I'll hunt them down. (laughs) Mate, what a year it was for Scott. And is there a follow-up book called The uh, Debut Season? Because you could seriously easily write a book about this year for him, couldn't you? He probably has to go and win something first, Shebek. So hopefully he can. Uh, Rookie of the year. That was a nice, nice victory. Yeah, it would be nicer if he could win May twenty nine next year yeah. at uh, Indianapolis. Um, that that could make a tasty book. Wouldn't but it? Uh, I, I think we all followed it pretty closely. I know Richard did probably more so than just about anyone uh, as a passionate indie man. But it's, um, I think it goes down as a big tick. It was a hell of a learning year for him. Um, I, I think he surprised a few. I think he's so hard on himself, which probably hurts him at times, that um, he probably wanted better results straight out of the box. And uh, I reckon Texas early on might have hurt him because he finished second when no one thought he would. And then that raised the bar and expectations even higher for himself, which he, he couldn't match. And he had he certainly went through a bit of a trough mid-year, certainly after Indianapolis. Um, but, you know, he wanted to be the rookie of the year. Tick that box. Uh, I think it was really cool that he was Rookie of the Year at Indianapolis, and he was on for a hell of a finish there before his, you know, his just his. I mean, he was a rookie, and he made a rookie error at Indianapolis, the biggest race on earth, and it cost him what probably could have been the top five finish. You know, imagine that. He, and then if you're in the top five, he could have been a serious chance to win the thing. So, uh, I reckon, yeah, really promising signs and. I think that weight of expectation will just grow for next year that, you know, he's been pretty vocal in the fact that he wants to be winning races um, and starting to to contend more serious. And, and that starts next year. So that puts more pressure on him, but I think he does thrive when the pressure is the highest. It's yeah, been no, a, there's no doubt about that. He, uh, he thrives in it. There's no doubt about that. It's been a remarkable story 
Hodgie. And like when you wrote Road to Redemption after that amazing championship season, the the journey since then has been remarkable. And you're you're closer to him than any of any of us are. It's it's I don't know about you. I find it quite surreal. And 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 this is as someone who's known Scotty since his DVS days, if not before that. Um, I, I still find it quite surreal that he's even there driving for Roger Penske, racing in the biggest race in the world. And then the fact that he is unbelievably competitive in what is probably the most in competitive IndyCar field in generations. Yeah, he didn't pick his time well to enter <laughs> yes. IndyCar in 2021, which I think is maybe the most competitive the sport's ever been. I do remind him, Richard, that when we did write the book, he wrote a chapter on how he wanted to go to America and race NASCAR. Like mm. IndyCar was not even on his radar. Mm. And, and I know Penske at that stage had a, an IndyCar team. But he'd never raced open wheelers. So it wasn't even, it was nothing, it wasn't on the radar anywhere that, that he expected to go and do that. It was always NASCAR where he thought he was heading. And then he ends up as an IndyCar driver, having basically his first season in open wheelers is his first year in IndyCar, which is staggering to think. So uh, when you roll all that in, you know, he's absolutely living the dream. I, I don't think you'll mind me telling you this story, guys. I got a photo from him on Saturday. He's had a, he's had a pretty decent, Mad, what do you call it? It's got mad Mondays turned into a two-week drinking session for him. <laughs> his uh, his drinking boy. his drinking partners on Friday night US time. So Saturday lunchtime, I got the photos, and he knows I'm a bogan petrol head, and I love it. But uh, he was drinking out with Dale Earnhardt Jr., Chase Elliott, Michael Waltrip, uh, Ryan Blaney, and Bubba Wallace. Wow. So w- what a what a drinking group that was, and I immediately sent him the odds from Sportsbet. So who's going to win the Roval? Ask yeah. your buddies. <laughs> but they did. I, I will say they did say watch out for William Byron, who was paying fourteen dollars at the time. So I might yeah. have had a little investment in William Byron, and I was very. Mark, you would have watched. We were very stiff in that <laughs> when he got punted in the back chicane. It was like, oh damn you! That could have been a very uh, tidy payout on, on Monday morning for us. But, um, yeah, he, he is absolutely living the dream. And I, I think he misses uh, home and misses Australia, but I'm not sure he misses supercars a whole lot after it, it went a bit pear-shaped for him mm. the last two years. And I'm sort of glad he got out when he did. I was going to say, you're looking at his socials, what a year. And But the thing is that I think that he's loosened up a bit. There's none of that tall poppy over there. He's the rookie that's sort of flying under the radar a bit. He's not the main centre of attention coming in and expected to win every weekend. He's just being himself, you know, like he's stuffing his motorhome at Indy where he lost the keys and then all the sheep turned up and all that sort of caper. It was just absolute pure gold, social magic. I, I think that's been really good to see. Yeah, even Nashville when he, you know, when he came off the bridge and almost lost it, the fact mm. that he's, He's getting a bigger kick out of watching it back as we are when he posts it, watching going, yeah. holy crap, that's happening at 250 Ks. <laughs> and, and he's as excited as we are watching it. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, it's such a new adventure for him. Uh, I think it's probably made easier the fact that he's got um, an American wife. Um, yep. So he can, he can duck up to New York and she's happy. And what's the saying? Shebex, happy, happy wife, happy life. So that's things are working. Say. Things are working well for him there. I think he would love to come home for the Bathurst 1000 in an ideal world because it's one of the biggest races of the year. But the fact that he can't, I don't think it's killing him. So um, we will see. We will see him. You know, hopefully the 
I don't know, can we go back to normal travel next year? Hopefully we can get over and watch him and, and I'm sure he'll come back in, mm. in 2022 and beyond and be a regular part of the Bathurst 1000 because, as he says, it is one of the biggest races and why would you not want to race in it every year if you can? And yeah. um, So it'll probably kill him in early December when he's sitting on his couch watching it at home and he should be in that car 17 out on the track. But, uh, you know, give it a year and I, I reckon he'll be, he'll be making regular trips back home. Well, that's going to help out the power rankings no end when we've got Twitter Scotty on yes. the line over in the States <laughs> not having to go to bed. That'll be red hot. Yeah. Yeah. Ho- hopefully with a six-pack of Budweiser's, that would that could be very <laughs> exciting by, by the time he gets on to, to can six or seven uh, <laughs> of what he's like watching at night time of, of Bathurst, whenever, whatever time zone that'll be for us. That hey, could be uh, quite amazing. For those that uh, might not have heard it, Balls and Bumpers still going along, the the mighty podcast with yourself, Scotty, and Jack Rewalt. Oh, I just play a very small part, Richard. They're, they're the oh, two superstars. Um, integral to the whole thing. They're difficult buggers to organise and get into, get some, uh, give an hour of their time at the same time. So they're, let's, let's just say they're pretty sporadic, um, <laughs> but they're a lot of fun when we do get to, to do them. We, we probably should to do a rapid IndyCar season and the AFL season at some stage. So look for that in the next couple of weeks. And then it feels like another season of supercars coming, isn't it? When yeah. finally yeah. in a couple of weeks' time it it fires back up. It is a weird way to do it. It's four straight rounds at Sydney. So I hope they spice it up with the tyres and we get different winners early on. Otherwise, it could be a really difficult month to get through. Speaking of different winners, uh, people that know you also know that you're a mad Formula One fan as well. And this year has sort of been a little bit of a a spicy season compared to the the last couple with Max Verstappen at least taking it up to Lewis and that battle for the championship there. Your thoughts on season 2021? Yeah, how good is it, guys? So different winners. It's unpredictable, Mm. which we never say about Formula One for seemingly the last 20 years. So I think it's it's must-watch sporting TV again. Um, And the world title fight that we've got is is as good as I reckon Formula One has ever been with yeah. Hamilton v Verstappen. Um, it, it takes it back to, you know, when I was falling in love with Formula One, when Senna and Prost were, they wanted to kill each other every single weekend. And that's what it's like with Lewis and Max. And, you know, Lewis put Max in hospital and Max, God knows what he could have done to Lewis at, at Monza when he landed on his head. Um, so it's, they're willing to punch on, which is awesome. So I think it's going to be the best last six races of the year to see how this plays out. And then the fact that, um, I don't know what you make of Lewis Hamilton, guys, but he's hard to like <laughs> as a race fan, let alone as a as one of his engineers or, or anyone in his team. Like, it, it, it's going to be spicy between he and his team, let alone he and everyone mm. else on the, on, the, on the track when they they hit uh, America in a couple of weeks' time. They obviously haven't seen the comments in our uh, private chat about Lewis's dress sense. All positive. All positive. Yeah, yeah. I I couldn't get over the fact that he was wearing a $448 sweatshirt the other day. (laughs) I saw you tweet that, Mark. What about his hair? What's going Is that his hair or someone else's hair? I can't talk about hair. Sorry. I'm in no position. (laughs) It's very, it doesn't doesn't look like it's natural, does it? I don't know. I did see an interesting sort of Facebook meme. Um, which was a, a photo of Lewis crossing the line and winning and go, yeah, yeah, we win as a team. We win as a team. Uh, it's all of us working together. And then a race like on the weekend, and this goes to what your comment of it, it's hard to get behind him sometimes in that when a decision goes bad, it's like you guys stuff that up. 
So, and, and you sort of had that vibe on the weekend when he was complaining about the strategy call, which he made to not pit and decided to stay out. And it ultimately cost him two positions and a bunch of points. So I, I do really get what you said in your comment about it, it is hard to get behind him sometimes, just makes a rod for his own back, it seems. Just on that, like, uh, is there any chance at the back of your mind you think, well, if he wins the world title this year, record eight title, he might walk away? Because I can't see him, he and George Russell coexisting in that team next year where you've got two Brits, one who's not really that likable and one who everyone's going to be cheering for George Russell. Yeah. Imagine, imagine the mm. – uh, look, imagine Silverstone next year if George Russell sticks the thing on pole. Like, the joint will be going nuts. Imagine if he's vying to win the thing, like – I don't know. I don't know whether melted. that's going to sit. That's not going to sit too well with Lewis after everything he's achieved. So I, Silverstone, I'm not sure had a, it, Silverstone had a meltdown when he put the Williams in the top ten. Yeah, exactly. On the front row. So George Russell is a guy who's you know punched above his weight. He's a really likable young kid, and everyone falls in love with him. And then there's Lewis Hamilton, who even his own team, I think, would be like, oh, God, he's a pain in the ass, isn't he? So uh, that will be. Fascinating if it happens next year. I reckon there's still a chance that if Hamilton wins it this year, he might just walk away. Well, it's quite funny you mentioned that because obviously his signing for this year and beyond was a really late addition uh, or late signing last year. And I wonder how much of that had to do, how much Lewis made it nearly impossible for them not to sign him in regards to what his demands may have been, whether they actually thought about it for a while and thought, is it actually worth it? Mm. Mm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to it's, see how that plays out. It, it Anything does, else we need to add to the agenda, boys? Well, it just bodes really well, though, Shebex, just to finish on that point for next year, like Hodgie said, because the last time a teammate came close to regularly challenging Lewis Hamilton in the same car, he beat him. And that was Nico Rosberg. And he beat him and he retired. He was like, <laughs> I'll, beat, I'll beat the best. I'm, I'm out. That's Go me on. done. Finished. Now, I'm not saying George Russell will retire because he's only a baby, but um, the last time... Like, Rosberg got in Hamilton's head that year and he beat him yeah. fair and square in a straight out fight in identical machinery. And that I think is what we've got to look forward to next year. Even if we roll out again with Merck's ending up under the new rules being faster than everyone else, which I don't think they will be, nah. but um, like we've got that battle to look forward to. And I, Russell strikes me. Yes. He's lovable and, and he's down to earth and friendly, but I reckon he will be the first one to feed the flat wheel Lewis at turn one at Silverstone if he's trying to battle him for track position, which will be great. Now, Rosberg won the championship, but at what price? Now all he seems to be doing is drinking zero alcohol beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With his dad. <laughs> what sort of life? <laughs> the sheets, I think. I will say, guys, it is such a bloody shame, isn't it, that can you imagine in a couple of weeks' time, Formula One would be coming to Melbourne. Like It was supposed to be November yes. 17. Mm. And so, you know, uh, next month... Uh, it would have been, you know, like it's it's still going to be points the difference between Max and Lewis. Like it's it's as good as the sport has ever been. Imagine if yeah. they were coming to Melbourne next month. It would have been awesome and you would have been able to have supercars there as well. And unfortunately, we're still locked down and the pubs are shut. So uh, that's uh, just a distant memory really, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. Hodgie, we really appreciate the time you spent with us today. Thank you so much for doing that. No, long time listener, first time on air. So uh, appreciated the uh, appreciated the chat, and uh, good to see you, boys. Yeah, you too, mate. Richard, Mark, we'll catch you guys next week. I'm going back to the uh, email machine to write some emails to the city councillors. Keep fighting the fight, Rich. <laughs> I'm not mate. giving up, Hodgie. <laughs> and I'm just going to stay home. Yeah, yeah.
Uh, and that's the way to be. Enjoy, <laughs> enjoy the lockdown, Mark. Uh, and we'll catch you also next week. Thank you for joining us as well, right here on The Grid. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.